0: Good morning. It's so great to be here with you, even though it is a smaller crowd than normal. Um, Really thankful for everyone that decided to to come out and be with us in person. And we're also thankful for those of you that are here on the live stream, even though you couldn't join us in person. Uh, Really, we're grateful for that technology so that you can be here and and worship with us. Uh, I know before I get started, I just wanted to say thank you for... Uh, in advance for my wife and I, we're really excited for the opportunity to come here and work with you. And I really hope that we uh, will be a blessing to you as you have been to us over these past two years. And I know that you will be into the future. There's been a, a constant theme throughout mankind, a theme of war. Um, war is something that has happened really um, since Adam sinned. Man has, has fought each other. All the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy. Now, that wasn't a full-scale war, but it was still a fight. It was still two brothers um, fighting, having a battle with each other. And I feel like in our culture, we really glorify war a lot of times. We have lots of movies, uh, the movie 300 about the Battle of Thermopylae. We've glorified those 300 Spartans who fought off the Persian army. Um, Think all the way back to the, the book, The Iliad, that we still make our children read in middle school that is about the Trojan War. Uh, Homer wrote that down about a war a long time ago, yet we still read it to this day. There are lots of wars. I could go on and on. The, batter, the Battle of Waterloo, the Battle of Bunker Hill, the, the Battle of Gettysburg. I think you get my point. There's lots of wars that we know about that I'm sure you know way more about than even I do. Um, but today, I want to I want to zoom in on one specific battle, and that would be the Battle of the Alamo. I'm sure you've heard of the Alamo um, being Americans. It's, it's a battle that we talk about, at least here in Oklahoma, because our, our neighboring state, Texas, is where that was. <clears throat> the Battle of the Alamo was caused because Texas decided that it wanted to be its own independent nation. They didn't want to be a part of Mexico anymore. And so they told Mexico, we're going to be our own nation. Well, Mexico didn't like that. Texas was part of its land, part of its value. Um, Texas paid taxes to the government of Mexico, and so Mexico sent their best general, Santa Anna, and he went down uh, to go quell this rebellion by the Texans. And so Santa Anna brought his troops, and they had lots of fights. Um, Battles were won here and there, and ultimately he cornered a bunch of Texans in a little small structure in San Antonio that's called the Alamo, and you can still visit it today. And in the Alamo, there were 300 soldiers against well over 3,000 with reinforcements on the way. How do you think it would have felt to be in the Alamo? You look out, you know you stand no chance. Those men that were in the Alamo knew that they were going to have to fight to the death, that they were not going to survive. It was a hopeless feeling, a stressful feeling, I'm sure a feeling of anxiety. All of that is probably something that you would have felt in the Alamo. I think there was a, a king... In the Old Testament, that was in a very similar circumstance. He looked around and he saw foreign enemies all around him. He knew that he stood no chance. He was outnumbered, outmatched. So, where did he go? What did he do? That king was King Hezekiah, the king of Judah, um, during the period when Judah was alone. As godly people, when we're in times of trial, when we're in a situation like that, when we're in our own little personal Alamo, And we look around and we're outnumbered, we're trapped. It's a a great trial in our lives. What do we do? As godly people, I hope that we'll follow an example that we're about to look at in Hezekiah and we pray. If you get anything out of this lesson today, I know it's a little cheesy, but I want you to get that godly people pray when trials come their way. If you get anything, that is a Christian truth that I hope that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Godly people pray when trials come their way. So when you undergo trials, I hope that's something that you'll think about. So this great king of Judah was in a similar situation to the Alamo. And the first place that he went was to God. I want to look at 2 Kings chapter 19 today. If you want to turn in your Bibles, that's where we'll be for the entirety of this lesson. And I want to look at the prayer of Hezekiah from 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 14 through 19. And I want us to find four characteristics of the prayer of a godly person when they're going through trials. 2 Kings 19, 14 through 19. To begin, godly people pray when trials come their way, and their prayers praise God. Their, their prayers glorify God. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Before we get into that, I think we need to know what the message from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, said. Starting in verse 10, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozen, Haran, Rezeph, the people of Eden who were in Telesar. Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad? The king of the city of Savaraviam, the king of Hena, or the king of Eva. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sends this message to Hezekiah, and he reads it. And he doesn't go to his generals and ask, What can we do? He doesn't go to his advisors to, to create a plan. The first place he goes in verse 14, Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spreads out this letter before God. He shows the letter to God, and he goes to God in prayer. He didn't try and solve the problem on his own. The first place that he went when this trial came was he went to God. In verse 15, Hezekiah said, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So we saw the message from Sennacherib, and it was a a threat, Hezekiah was reminded of the destruction of all the nations around him. See, Assyria was a mighty conquering force. They'd already come in and conquered the northern nation of Israel. So Judah's brothers up in Israel were already conquered. They were destroyed, taken into captivity. They were never going to return. And there are all these nations. Sennacherib lists a bunch of nations that you can bet Hezekiah has heard of. He's heard of these nations that have been destroyed completely and utterly By Assyria. So this is a a, an intense threat. Hezekiah understood all this destruction that Assyria was capable of and he knew the only place that he could go was God. But when we get into his prayer he doesn't just go and pray and say God please help me. He doesn't jump right in with his request. The first place the first thing that Hezekiah does in his prayer is glorify God. He praises God. So he praises God specifically for three things in this prayer. For his position above the cherubim. So God is above the cherubim. The cherubim are these beings who are sitting around the throne of God. Um, Any vision from the Old Testament or even the New Testament, you see the cherubim and they had four faces. Three of them were of an animal and one of a human. They had six wings. They were these great, mighty, powerful beings. I don't think that any of us could stand up in a fight to a cherubim. I mean, they were powerful. And yet God is positioned above even them. God is positioned above on the throne that they're guarding he then praises god for being the god see there are many gods that people serve in this day the pagans had gods for almost every single thing in their lives everything that that happened they had a god for it Uh, when paul preaches in athens he looks and they even have an altar to an unknown god because back then they didn't want to forget a god of whatever and so they had altars to everything so Hezekiah praises him for being the God, because the God of Israel isn't like the gods of the other nations that Assyria has already destroyed. He is the God. The God of the Buddhists isn't the God. The God of the Hindus today, that's not the real God. The God of even the Muslims, they claim they worship the same God, but he is very different. That's not the God. The God is the God of Israel, the God of the Christians. So Hezekiah praises him for being the God. And then finally, Hezekiah praises him for his great feat of creating heaven and earth. See, all these other nations had these gods that they worshipped, but none of those gods could boast that they created heaven and earth. Only the God of Israel did that. He's the only God that created everything that we see. So godly people pray when trials come their way, and their prayers praise God. Our prayers should glorify God when we're undergoing trial. The second characteristic of the prayer of a godly person when they're undergoing trial, their prayers defend God when he's mocked by other people. Read verse 16 with me. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. So the Assyrian king mocked God. He didn't say that God isn't real because everyone believed that that the gods that people served were real. They just believed that their gods were more powerful So the Assyrian king is mocking the power of the God of Israel. And so the second part of Hezekiah's prayer, it's not a prayer for God to help Hezekiah or to help Jerusalem. It's a prayer for God to back up his own power, to prove how powerful that he really is. And our God is living and powerful. Even today, our God is living and powerful. And God is going to prove that he's living and powerful in this story later on, by killing 185,000 Assyrian soldiers overnight. I mean, that's, that's just unheard of. That's, that's unbelievable. <clears throat> we have historical evidence to back this up. Sennacherib, in his own writings, he writes about all his great victories. And then when he writes about Jerusalem, there's almost nothing because 185,000 of his soldiers were killed overnight, and he had to run back home. He couldn't stay and fight Jerusalem because their God Was too powerful. And as I said, our God is just as powerful today. When people mock God, people today even say that God isn't real. That's completely false. And we know that is. Our God is real, He's powerful, and He's able to back up everything that He's ever said. Now, that doesn't mean He's going to be smiting people and striking people down like uh, He had to with Ananias and Sapphira. He's not going to be doing things like that. But there is a judgment day coming when our God is going to prove that He is real to all these people, and he's going to prove his power. So godly people pray when trials come their way, and their prayers praise God, and their prayers defend God when he's mocked by other people. Godly people pray when trials come their way, and their prayers recognize the superiority of God. Starting in verse 17, Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. You might not know a lot about basketball, but I'm sure you've heard the name Michael Jordan at least once in your life. Michael Jordan is considered to be the greatest basketball player of all time by most people. In 2005, Michael Jordan had already retired his second, I think his third time from basketball. He wasn't going to go back and play anymore. He was done. And so he would go around and he would host basketball camps. He still does this today. And there was one player from high school at this particular camp back in 2005. His name was O.J. Mayo. O.J. Mayo was a very talented young man. Like I said, this this camp was made up of college players. He was the only kid from high school that was allowed to be there. And he was so good, he ended up going third in, I, I believe, the 2013 draft. He ended up going number three. He was a very good player. But in 2005, he was at this camp. And they're playing a game of five-on-five basketball. So they're going back and forth. And Michael Jordan was guarding O.J. Mayo. And O.J. Mayo scored a couple points. He made a couple shots. And he started to talk trash. And if you know anything about Michael Jordan, he is very, very competitive. And so he took it seriously. And so once the game was over, he sent everybody from the camp home early except for O.J. Mayo. He cleared out the gym. And he played O.J. Mayo one-on-one for hours. They just kept playing games of one-on-one over and over. And to make a long story short, Michael Jordan beat him every single time and put him in his place. And after the game, he's quoted as saying, You might be the greatest high school player in the world, but I'm the greatest ever. Don't disrespect a great like that. Assyria was a mighty conquering power. I mean, they beat nation after nation after nation. You get a nice little list in 12, but that's just a fraction of the nations that Assyria was able to defeat. But those nations that they defeated, They didn't have a God like the God that was in Israel. Relying it to the story, Assyria is kind of like O.J. Mayo here. They're getting a little too big for their britches. They think that they are better than they actually are. They think they're more powerful than they actually are. And so God, being the most powerful being in the entire universe, is about to have to put them into their place. Because the God of Israel is superior to all these gods of the conquered people. The The God of Israel is superior to all the gods of Assyria. Our world, and in our world, people serve many different gods. We have our, maybe it's, it's money, it's resources. You have your own little god that you serve. Um, people, there's lots of religions with different gods. We talked about Hindus and Buddhists um, and Muslims. There's lots of different gods in our world, but our god is superior to all of them. Our god is the most superior being in this world. And so our prayers, if we're godly people when we're undergoing trials, we should recognize the superiority of God. We have the greatest being in existence on our side that can help us when we undergo trials. See, all these gods that these other nations had in verse 17 and 18, they weren't gods. They were destroyed. They were, in verse 18, they cast their gods into the fire. They were not gods. They were the work of men's hands, wood and stone those weren't real gods. They were just wood. They were they were stone. They were things that could be burned. Our God is living and powerful, and he's not confined to anything. And so in our world, though people might serve many different gods, we serve the greatest God. Our God is the ultimate God. Godly people pray when trials come their way, and the fourth and final characteristic is that their prayers ask God for his help. Keeping on with, with the basketball illustrations, I really like basketball, if you were playing a game of basketball and you had Michael Jordan on your team, you would probably want him to play, right? You wouldn't want him to stand on the sideline and not help you. We have the greatest God in the world on our team through this life. You don't want him on the sideline just watching. You want God to be helping you as you go through trials in your life. And Hezekiah, when he came into this prayer, he came into it for a reason, to ask God for his help. In verse 19, So now, O Lord our God, save us please from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah came into this prayer to ask God for his help. And so godly people pray when trials come their way. Our prayer should ask God ultimately for help. You need to ask yourself the question, do you truly believe in the power of prayer? That's something that you need to ask yourself. And on top of that, are you willing to use prayer In times of trial. Is prayer just kind of a backup plan? Or is prayer the first place that you go? We didn't see Hezekiah when he received that letter hesitate. We didn't see him uh, go talk to anybody and, and ask what he could do. The first place that he went was to God when this trial came to him. See I remember when I was a little kid. I didn't pray a whole lot growing up. All I ever prayed for was for baseball games because I thought that God cared a whole lot about baseball, I guess. And so I'd always be sitting in the outfield and I'd say, God, please help us win this game. That was all I ever prayed. I tried to solve all my problems on my own. And that's not something that we can do. We simply cannot solve all of our problems. It takes the help of God. And Hezekiah's request really says something about him. His request wasn't for God to destroy Assyria his request wasn't for God to save Jerusalem. His request wasn't for God to save him. Hezekiah's request in verse 19 was that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah's request was for the whole world to see that God is the true God. What do your prayer requests show about you? Are your prayer requests selfish? Are they, are they about you, about you getting help? What do your prayer requests say about your, your understanding of God? I know when I was a little kid, like I said, I would put God in a box. I thought that basically God just cared about baseball. That was probably my thought process back then. What do your prayers say about yourself and about your thinking of God? Hezekiah understood how powerful and great God was, and his prayer reflected that. Godly people pray when trials come their way, and trials are going to come your way. I mean, we're undergoing a trial right now with this coronavirus, right? We've had to change our way of lives, our way that we think about things. We've had to change a whole lot just because of this coronavirus. There's no better place to turn to in times of trial than to God. And we need to model our prayers in those times like Hezekiah. We need to use our prayer to praise God, to defend God, to recognize the superiority of God, and ultimately to ask God for help. When the world's closing in around you, when times seem hard, When you're in your own little Alamo and you're looking out and you're surrounded by thousands of people that seem to be against you. Or when you're in the shoes like Hezekiah and you're looking out and there's at least 185,000. That's probably only about half the army, maybe a third. There's probably a lot more than that. But 185,000 soldiers out there wanting to get in and ransack your city and destroy you and everything that you love. What are you going to do when you feel outnumbered, when you feel outmatched? When you feel trapped, what do you do in those situations? Hopefully, from this lesson, you've seen that you should go to God. You should go to God in prayer. God can and will take care of your problems. So maybe sin has been taking control in your life, and you just can't find a way to get out of its grasp. Or maybe um, you're suffering in this life. Um, you're, you're suffering with pain. And maybe it, it's mental suffering. Whatever it is, You can go to God and he can help you with those things because, like I've been saying this whole time, and I really hope that I've hammered this home, godly people pray when trials come their way. This morning, if you have a need, we'd love to help you in any way we can. We'd love to pray with you, study with you. If you need to be baptized, we'd love to baptize you. And whatever it is, if you have a need, you can come forward as we stand and as we sing.